When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Podcast on Fifth Ave. I'm Taylor Haas. You're Danny Shirey. We're in the thick of the off season, at least for the Penguins. Uh, we don't have much news to talk about this time of year. We actually do. We're recording Friday. Um, today, the Swedish club, uh, Timra, in the top Swedish league, and they signed Philip Hallander to a five-year contract. Uh, so that's the end of Philip Hallander's time in the, in the Penguins organization. He was set to become a restricted free agent this year. Um, and it's something where, like, you know, the Penguins could extend a qualifying offer and, and retain his rights until he turns 27. But given that he turns 23 this summer, and it's a five-year deal, um, I, it would be pointless to do it. You, like, the Penguins did it with, with Casper Bjorkvist, where, you know, like last year he signed in Finland um, before, you know, RFA, the qualifying offers were made, and the Penguins retained his rights, you know, just in case. But uh, with Haller, it seems like, you know, this is... This is the end. Uh, any any reflections on Highlander's time here? Uh, well, probably beating a dead horse here, but it's so hard to not be like, okay, Hollander was the the main return for Jared McCann, right? Like they got they got Hollander in a in a seventh round pick back for him. And just looking back, it's like now now McCann's the the leading goal scorer and leading point getter and and cracking history. And the Penguins have who who did they even end up taking with that seventh round pick? It's it's this year. Oh, it's this year's pick. It's this year, yeah. Well, so. there we go. So we'll we'll have a we'll have a new uh, a Luke Devlin to root for, and hopefully he can turn into Jared McCann. But um, you know, I I personally thought that Hollander probably was a guy that you know I, I know he did come up for that handful of games earlier in the year, um, but with just how bad the bottom six was for most of the year, and I know he dealt with his injuries as well throughout the year, but it, it was kind of like one of those things where. I at least felt like this season was kind of the season where he had to come up and, and show a little something. And obviously that just got derailed. So I, I'm not sitting here like, Oh no, the, the bottom six is in shambles now heading into last or heading into next season. Like he's, he's probably a pretty replaceable guy at this stage. And I, you know, I can imagine that the Penguins could probably find a, a comparable player in, in free agency. So. Yeah. Um, him, him going home. We had, we talked about this on the podcast um, before. So this had been in the works for at least a month. Um, it sounded like he had a deal in place, like a you know just just had to be official a, a month ago. Like while Wilkesbury was still playing, so it's not anything about you know like the front office changes. 
it sounded like he just wanted to go home. Like Timra is his um, hometown team. And the way, you know, the system works in Sweden is like they come up through like their local youth program. So he grew up playing for Timra. He started playing for Timber where they were in the Swedish second league. He was part of Timber when they got promoted to the SHL. And then he was playing with Timber when they got relegated back down to the second league. And, and Hollander said in the release um, of, you know, with his, with the Swedish team um, that ever since that loss where they got relegated um, back in, it was like 2019, he knew he wanted to come back. So it, I, it's not anything like I, I don't even think you would blame like lack of playing time up because he only got three games up here. I, I don't think it's that. I think he just wanted to go home. You have to, he he's also married. He has a baby, uh, his, well, like a two year old now. So I think just just going back to Sweden was important to him. And to have, now that Timur's you know back in the SHL, um, I think just where he wanted to be. I think the five year deal. Um, really really shows that but yeah i thought uh, that was the one thing i was going to bring up like i obviously it's just speculation but like being that young and, and having a two-year-old like i'm sure it, it's probably pretty enticing to go back home and be like hey ma can you come watch the little <laughs> kid for a little bit while i go to practice yeah I, well, and because i remember you know even you know when he was the, the baby was born like right before training camp one year. And so he was like, he was there for like the birth and then maybe like the first like two weeks. And then he had to come over to North America. And then that was during like COVID, you know, time. So like his wife and his son couldn't even come over um, for uh, it was maybe like, uh, like two months. So he, he missed, you know, a lot of that time. Um, and, you know, I remember talking to him about just how hard that was to, to not have that, that family time. But before we moved on from Highlander, um, the 2018 draft class, just to look back, they took four players that year. They're all gone. Um, they got a combined three games in the NHL out of them. All Hallander. Um, the first one is Kaylin Addison, who has, of course, become uh, an, an a defenseman NHL regular for Minnesota. But he was, he was shipped off in the Jason Zucker trade. So can you be that mad about that? Not really. Um, and then uh, he was a second-round pick. And then Hallander is the other second-round pick. Uh, for Justin Almeida, for uh, fifth round pick, uh, he, I think, is retired. He didn't play anywhere this year. He was a free agent last summer, restricted free agent, wasn't um, given a qualifying offer. He was mostly playing in Wheeling um, when he went pro. wasn't that good. He was so tiny. Um, <laughs> and then he's not playing anywhere this year. I don't know. I follow him on Instagram. It doesn't look like he's like training or whatever. He walk. He's posting pictures of like hanging out in like the bathtub and like walking his dogs. So I think he's just done. Um, Go for and it. Then, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, there's six. There are other round. There's six round pick for Liam Gorman. Uh, Princeton. They traded him to Chicago last summer for a six round pick back, which they used to draft Nolan Collins. I'm high on Nolan Collins. Liam Gorman. If you would have asked me at the time, like who is the least remarkable prospect in the entire system, I would have said Liam Gorman. So. And that, that is quite the low <laughs> bar to clear, considering the Penguins have had no no enticing prospects to speak of for probably close to a decade. Yeah, the the way this happened. So, like, we were in Montreal for the draft, and you know, when when the when the team makes a pick, if they're there, like, you can talk to them in like a, the separate like pod area. So, like, when the Penguins are getting close to picking, you go down to the pods just in case they're there. And so we're down by the pods. Um, and the Penguins are on the clock. And then 
like it just goes away and it's like Chicago's picking and like they don't it, it, you know six round they're not really like making like big announcements like that and, like a PR person tells us like hey just so you guys know we traded um like the the six round we traded um oh no Chicago is picking then we're like I had that backwards um we traded um a pick for, uh, some prospect for uh a pick and I was like well what's prospect <laughs> and then, like everyone else kind of like blew it off and he's like uh Liam Gorman I'm like oh Okay, <laughs> like that's, it's fine. That's, it's fine. that's nothing at all. <laughs> um, uh, so <laughs> moving on from Hallander and the, the mess that was the 2018 draft class, the playoffs, we have to talk about the playoffs. They're still happening. It's not the offseason for anyone yet. Um, we can talk about just general takeaways. My biggest one is just Seattle in general. I mean, obviously Colorado is missing some key guys. Um, but I think even so, people thought that like Colorado was going to, you know, wipe the floor at the avalanche, maybe sweep. And it looks like uh, Seattle might be able to close that series. We're recording Friday. They might be able to close that series out tonight. Crazy. Yeah. Even going into the season, into the season, I was like looking up and down the Kraken's roster and their lineup. And I'm like, look, this, this team kind of lacks the, the high end superpower right now, but you know, they, they've got a lot of balance and, and some pretty quality depth throughout their lineup. Like you look, they obviously had a 40-goal scorer in McCann, and then you even look down on their fourth line. They had Daniel Sprong, who was like top 10 in the league in goals per hour and points per hour this season, both, uh, I want to say, at uh, five-on-five and during all situations. So um, going into this series, I, I did pick the Avalanche to win. I, I really didn't see McKinnon like letting the Avs fall off this soon. Um, but with that being said, in the, in the postseason primer that I wrote kind of going through each series, I was like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Kraken do end up making this a competitive series because of how much balance and depth they have. And, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to think so much of, of Georgiev and goal for the Avs. Like, I, I still don't really know what to make of him a whole lot. But, like, obviously, I, I think he's a little bit of a downgrade from Kemper there. Then you look, they're playing without Landis Cog. McCarr got suspended for that hit on McCann. He missed yeah, so um, he he was out that that one game as well. So um, I don't know. I, the the Kraken are pretty exciting. Like reg- regardless of any just analysis, I love watching them play. It probably helps that their colors are so amazing and they pop on television. But I just really really enjoy watching that team play. Did you see the goodie bag that Kraken PR had in the press box? Yes, box? yes. They had rum. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Not covering the Kraken. Other NHL teams need to start stepping it up. The I remember when we were in Vegas for the All Star game, we got um, like full bottles of Chardonnay because, like, I guess the Vegas owner owns some uh, I don't know winery or something like that. But yeah, full bottle of rum for the Kraken. <laughs> like it was a big bottle for uh, Kraken writers. Um, uh, other series worth talking about. Uh, if you're listening to this Saturday, it's game six of, of Toronto-Tampa. Uh, Toronto has the opportunity to close the series out. They had the opportunity in the last game, couldn't couldn't pull it off. I think the funniest thing would be if, because uh, they had a 3-1 series lead, as if they blow it and lose in game seven, just because that would be so maple leaves of them to do. Yeah, I, I think at this point, after they they didn't close it out in uh, in game five, like people were kind of like, okay, this is the same story we've been seeing over and over and over again. I 
I picked the Leafs at the beginning of the season. I picked the Leafs to come out of the East. Um, at the end of the regular season, when I did my postseason primer, I was like, look, I, I still like this Leafs team. I'm, I'm not necessarily staying in bed with them to make it out of the East, but I do have them coming out over top of the Lightning. Uh, my biggest thing with the Lightning is that they just don't have that same juice that they had even two years ago. Like, yes, they still have Point, Stamkos, Kucherov. That being said, Vasilevsky has not been the guy he has been the past few postseasons at all. Uh, we, we could get into a little bit of – so uh, the current head coach of the Red Wings, Derek Lalonde, he was – I want to say it was on Sportsnet. He was doing like an intermission panel or, or something like that, and he basically said like, yeah, the Lightning – did a study that found that Vasilevsky had a very, very tough time, even relative to like a league average goalie dealing with shots from distance, especially from the point and like navigating traffic. So when you look at a lot of the goals that Vasilevsky's given up this series, a lot of them have been shots from distance through traffic. Like the one that stands out is uh, Morgan Riley scored a, a shot kind of like walking his way to the middle of the ice for, on the blue line. And it was just like a, a backbreaker. I want to say it was in game four it was. Um, so that, that's that been really interesting to see because the the common like thought process is, yes, you want to get your chances of looks from the most high danger areas of the ice, which is right around the net and the slot area. But Vasilevsky is just a monster in that area. Like there, there are a few goalies around the league, especially just because of how big he is and the athleticism that he has. And it, it's just so tough to beat him from those areas. So I've, I've found it really interesting how that dynamics kind of played into everything. Uh, but as much as we like to joke about the Leafs, like just looking up and down, I, I think they've got a better roster. Yeah. Going back to the Lalonde comments, I know he was kind of a lot of flack of that for that. Cause so the reason where this is coming from is he was an assistant um, for Tampa for, for four years. Right. From like media fans, I, I saw a lot of people criticizing him for making those comments because one, like, I, like you know, he was with them when they what they won, and he won with Vasilevsky, and it seems like it, it was, you know, it's information he learned with Tampa that he's now going out there to like use against them. I don't, I didn't have an issue with the comments. I thought that was that's why you have guys like that on right. those kinds of um, shows, and also it feels like it's not anything like that's interesting that Tampa was aware of that, and he also said that like they changed their entire like defensive zone coverage to kind of help Vasilevsky in those areas. But like also like, you know, like how goalies do with like long range shots and shots from different areas of the ice. That's, that's publicly available information. Like anyone, like advanced stat sites, you could also kind of find that, that stuff. Do you have an issue with the comments? No, not at all. Like I'm, I'm with yeah. you. That's w that's why they have guys like that on the panel for that insight. And I, I wish we would get more of it because you know there's so many panelists and, and analysts out there that are, are withholding information like that. Um, but but to your point, like you could go on HockeyViz.com right now, and they basically have heat maps on there that shows you like with little tiny hexes, like a thousand of them over uh, like the offensive zone. It can show you by shot type where goalies perform well and where they don't perform well. And if you go and look at Vasilevsky's career from the, from the day he came into the league to right now, teams that shoot from the point and from distance against him have a much higher likelihood of scoring than they would against a league average goalie. Yeah. Uh, what, one more controversy from that series. Uh, Kyle Dubas yelling at the Tampa fans. 
there, 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 there's video of that like from the crowd um you know like the the tampa press box where the executive sit it's low enough that like you can interact with fans like it's like a, a window open um and he was like like fuing them like back yeah. at the tampa fans he i uh, there were like there are videos of that going around. I mean, I'm sure they were also like from tape of fans being like, wow, so unprofessional from Kyle Dubas. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. What do you think of Kyle Dubas giving it to the Tampa fans? Yeah, I, I loved it as well. I don't know that it's uh, very professional, but like the one thing I always go back to and like, especially with just like the work that we're doing and everything, if I start to get stressed out or like start to overthink it, I'm like, at the end of the day, this is just hockey. Like it's a sport. It's a bunch of like young dudes playing a sport to like have fun. So as serious as anything might get, like at the end of the day, it, it's just a game. And like, we could be, I don't know, flipping burgers at McDonald's, whatever it is. Right. Like, I, I think we kind of get caught up in like, Oh, this is what we fixate on all the time. We spend so much time in this. We have to be super serious and super professional, blah, blah, blah. But I love stuff like that like do and and how is a fan of the Leafs how can you not love that when the guy who's running your team is up in the press box and the playoffs freaking hollering at the other team's fans like that that really is what sports is all about yes you want your team to win but like that that competitive flair that's really the the excitement of sports so I I didn't have a problem with it yeah too often like the like oh like professionalism just come People think that it's like be a robot, like not right. show any emotion. It, it again, it it's a game. It's a bunch of guys on knife shoes slapping around a piece of rubber, and we just have to talk about who does it better. Like then, <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> that, but that's what, that's what we get paid to do. Uh, speaking of GMs, so we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about five more potential GM candidates for the Penguins as their search continues. So stay with us. Right, and we're back. Uh, was it last week? Two weeks ago, we talked about five GM candidates from a, from an article you did, uh, looking at you know not not rumors, but just you know candidates who are out there who typically interview for these type of positions, people who are due uh, for you know head GM roles across the league. I did my own. Um, these aren't really like rankings. Like you had the first five, and I had the next five because there's so many names out there. There's a good chance that we don't have, you know, whoever right. it is isn't good isn't on either of our radars right radars right now. But uh, while we're waiting for the GM search to conclude, might as well talk about five more candidates. So uh, starting with, so on, on my list at the top of my list, Eric Tolsky. Um, you know, when Fenway, when Dave Beeston from Fenway had that that press conference. Um, you know, and he was asked about like, well, you know, what are you looking for in like a GM? Um, really didn't say much of anything because the search had just really been starting. He just said forward thinking um, for whoever this candidate will be. And and I feel like Eric Tolsky um, is that, you know, he started out, you know, running like advanced stat sites and like writing about advanced stats and he, but he's been with Carolina uh, in hockey ops since 2014. He was hired as an analyst is an analyst for three seasons, promoted to director of analytics in 2017. And then the following year, he was uh, VP of, of hockey management. And then he was named assistant general manager in 2020. So he's, he's been in an AGM for, for a couple of years now. 
Um, his bio on the Hurricanes website says he's involved in all player personnel decisions. He oversees pro scouting and the team's hockey information department, and he assists with player contract negotiations, salary cap compliance, and other hockey-related matters. Uh, he did interview for the for the Blackhawks vacancy. Um, Blackhawks ended up just going with, with Davidson in internal promotion. So he's he's been on other teams' radar before. Um, I think his background before like working for the Hurricanes is very interesting. Like he didn't you know play professionally. Um, right. He has a <clears throat> BA in chemistry and physics from Harvard, a PhD in chemistry from uh, UC Berkeley. Uh, he worked in the high-tech industry for 12 years, managing teams of researchers focused on using nanotechnology to solve problems in DNA sequencing, solar energy displays, and energy storage, and he has 19 U.S. patents. So I feel like if you name like GM, he could probably clone Sidney Crosby, right? <laughs> probably. <laughs> my, my thing with Tolsky is like you saw some of the comments about when you bring up bring his name up as a potential candidate, and it's like, oh yeah, it's just what the Penguins need—some like spreadsheet yeah. warrior—and it's like, like you just listed, like this dude has been around and in hockey, and it sounds like from the descriptions that you've mentioned and everything that we've read that this dude has basically done everything you can do in a front office, whether it be contract negotiations, something with the salary cap to working with analytics and, and new data that you have. Like he, he checks all of those boxes just because he didn't like, I cannot wait. It's just crazy to me. Like you see, a, you see these guys retire, like these mid-level players, they retire. And then all of a sudden, like they, they have a job on a coaching staff or they have a job in a front office right away. Like, <coughs> excuse me, not, not that those guys might not be qualified, but like you and I both know there are qualified, plenty of qualified people out there for both roles that have never played the game of hockey or, or at least at a professional level. Right. So I can't wait until we get to a point where we're, we're past like, oh, well, like, this dude, he he didn't play in the NHL. Like he doesn't, he doesn't belong up there. Like who cares? I, I, I never played professional hockey. I think I could do a decent job doing some scouting in a front office. I don't know. But like, like Ron Hextall was a great goaltender. Ron Hextall was a great goaltender. Ron Hextall, not a very good general manager, people. Not a very good general manager. That's how it goes. Um, So I don't, moving Tolsky, uh, I, I, he's, I think he's my pick right now. He's, he's my favorite um, forward thinking if that's what they're going for. And, you know, just, he does have the experience with, with, uh, with Carolina uh, moving on uh, Megan Hunter, Megan Hunter. She was hired by the Blackhawks in, in 2016. She's had a couple different um, roles in, in their hockey ops department. Um, 2020, she was the director of hockey administration. Uh, she was also an am- amateur scout during that time. So scouting like prospects. Um, and then, uh, she was a person to promoted to assistant GM, uh, after, after two seasons in that role. And so she's in her first year, um, as age as assistant GM, um, in Chicago, uh, she described her own role in an interview with NHL.com. She's responsible for budgeting. So, you know, cap, cap management, um, daily operation of the team, contract execution, team security, player services, scouting, roster construction, daily player transactions, um, and more. She, uh, she played just at University of Wisconsin um, when she was an assistant coach it, it, for various teams after that. Um, 
she, she was a grad assistant coach at Wisconsin um, for one season. She was an assistant coach for Ni- Niagara University and then associate coach uh, for a year at the University of Maine. Another very qualified um, candidate. I'm not sure if she's one that has interviewed before. That doesn't always become public. But, um, I mean, being with the Blackhawks since 2016, um, not that the Blackhawks have been very good. They're going through a rebuild, but she seems to have, you know, qualifications. Yeah, I mean, that that's the biggest thing. Like, the, the list that you just ran through, it sounds like she's the – done basically everything you can in a front office. Right. And I'm not saying that necessarily makes her a qualified candidate, but um, my biggest thing is just going back and, and, you know, everybody wants the, the one name I keep seeing from one of our subscribers on the site is, is Jamie Langenbrunner. Like what, what is the obsession with former players? Like, is it, is it just like a comfortability factor or something like, Oh, I know this name and not Megan Hunter. I've never heard of her before. She can't be a good GM. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's 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 it. Um, I've seen like Penguins fan, well, Wilkesbury fans saying like, well, maybe Tom Kostopoulos should get a look. It's like, should he? Like, I think he's gr- he's he's great at like player development. Um, he's the director of player development. I, even when he was playing, it was like this guy's gonna be a player development coach as soon as he retires. Um, but I I, <laughs> I don't know if he, he's ready to be a GM. Uh, yeah, I think it's just like, I know, I know this guy as a player, uh, it should be him. Also just knowing him as a person. I don't know that that's even a role that he would be all that interested in. (laughs) I don't don't think it is either. He was like, I mean, as a player, he was kind of like, he had like, like a nastiness to him and he would fight, but like you talk to him, you're like, this is the nicest man I've ever met. I don't, I don't, I don't know how aggressive he'd be in like a, like a trade like negotiations with another team. <laughs> He's too nice. Um, moving on. Lauren Skillman. Lauren Skillman is, is, a, is a guy who, who's been around for forever. Hasn't been a head GM before. Seems like he's due. Um, right now, he's an assistant. Um, no, so he's been with the Maple Leafs since 2018. When he joined the Maple Leafs, he started out as an assistant general manager. It, it sound, he's not an assistant general manager right now. Um, he uh, that's not like a like a demotion it seems like it's just like a lateral move he now he's head gm of the toronto marlies and um also senior vice president and governor of the marlies um but it sounds like he doesn't have anything to do with the big club right now um like he's not listed on the maple leafs front office um website at all but he was an assistant gm for kind of for a couple years before um, managing the Marlies, uh, and uh, managing the Marlies, the Marlies won the AHL's North Divi- Division title uh, this season. But I mean, before that, I mean, he was the Canucks assistant GM and VP of Hockey Ops from 2008 to 2015. He worked in the Coyotes organization for a long time, from '98 to 2007. Um, he started out as Phoenix's director of Hockey Ops. And then was promoted to assistant general manager after three seasons. Um, so he he was an assistant GM for for the Coyotes for a long time. He was also um, VP of Hockey Ops for them after some time, and he was the GM of the AHL's um, San Antonio Rampage, uh, their affiliate. He also has a like a law background. He went to law school. He has his um, JD, and he passed like the Minnesota State Bar. Um, I, I I don't know what to make of him like not being assistant of Toronto. 
this season, but um, just the experience he has seems like uh, a guy like that is due for a head GM job at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a list uh, of, a, of a handful of people like him. And I, I think we could probably even throw like Tolsky on that list if we wanted to. Is like people who have kind of been like tracking toward getting that job. Um, I I still can't just help but feel like, and, and you kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago, that like whoever the GM does end up being is just going to come completely out of left field. Like we keep trying to narrow it down and, and like, these are obviously viable candidates and, and people that can fill the role, but I just, I, I can't help but feel like we're going to get blindsided by somebody that was on absolutely no one's radar. Yeah. Like the GM of a random, like OHL team, um, something like that. Um, let's see. Uh, two more on my list. Um, Matthew Darsh. So Matthew Darsh did have a long um, playing career, not a very good one. Uh, forward, he played 250 games um, in the NHL between 2000 and 2012, so he was mostly a, a minor league guy. Um, but yeah, 250 games in the NHL with the Blue Jackets, Predators, Sharks, Lightning, Canadians. Um, he's in his first season as assistant GM with the Lightning, um, and he had also been Tampa's director of hockey ops since 2018, where you know, he's up with like personnel decisions, analytics, player development, contract uh, preparation, negotiation cap budgeting, scheduling. Um, so he was with, you know, Tampa in, in 2020 and in 2021 when they won the Cups. Um, he, he's interviewed for a couple uh, head head jobs. Uh, last season alone, Blackhawks, Canadians, and Canucks were their GM uh, vacancies. He was also part of uh, the NHLPA's negotiating committee. Um, so the 2012-13 lockout right after he... Um, it was before he officially retired. He was on the negotiating committee for um, you know, negotiating the, the work stoppage. And then um, the PHPA is the labor union that both the AHL and the ECHL, it's, it's a combined thing. Um, he was part of their last uh, CBA, a, the AHL last uh, CBA negotiation. So another guy that he doesn't seem to have like a ton of experience as. Um, like being in hockey ops, he hasn't been around that long, but it's interesting that he's interviewed for three head GM positions last year alone. Yeah, I I think he's a, a decent candidate. I don't know a ton about him, but I, I almost wonder if like what you just brought up, if that has something to do with the fact that like, oh, he was around for like Tampa Bay success and he was a part of that front office. Like he's got to know something. Um, I, I don't really know what to make of somebody interviewing for that many jobs. Like we never know, like each of those teams could have been like, yeah, we'd love you. And he's like, eh, actually, I don't want to move my family here or something like that. So I don't want to jump into a like, Oh, well, all these other teams have passed over and why should the penguins want them kind of thing. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't have much of a, an opinion on him one way or the other. Yeah, uh, and then last one on my list, uh, Cami Granato, obviously legend um, as a player, uh, USA Hockey, uh, Olympic gold medal, Olympic silver medal, world championship gold medal, eight world championship silver medals. Um, she's the U.S. women's national team's all-time leading scorer with uh, 186 goals, 157 assists, and 205 games um, across all international uh, tournaments. So she, she she's had, like... Uh, she had opportunities to get into hockey up sooner, like different offers, but um, family concerns, she, she turned it down. Uh, 
So her first front office job was in 2019. She was hired as a pro scout for the Kraken. So this was before the Kraken were a team. So she was part of the scouting team that scouted players going into the expansion draft. So she helped build the current Kraken team. And they seemed to be doing pretty well. Uh, and then, so she had that position for two and a half seasons before um, she was hired as an assistant GM by the Canucks. That was in February of 2022. So this is her first full season um, with the Canucks. And in her role with Vancouver, she oversees player development department, um, the amateur scouting department, pro scouting department. And she has input in, in all areas of, of hockey operations. So um, someone that does have a lot of success as a, as a player and, uh, you know, not, not a ton of front office experience, but I mean, just her involvement in building the crack and seems to be, uh, you know, she was everywhere. I remember seeing her around like the Penguins press box in those years leading up to the expansion draft. So, uh, someone, just another interesting name out there. Yeah. I, she kind of comes off to me as kind of like a hockey badass, like how, <laughs> Like, and what I was talking about earlier, like everyone who's infatuated with like, oh, the, the GM or the coach, like they had to have had an illustrious playing career. Well, you look at hers like that, that, that lines up with it. And um, as you said, I, I don't have a, a ton to add on, on her front office experience or, or whatever it may be, but for somebody in, in her shoes and who has accomplished what she has on the ice and the fact that she was part of the Kraken's scouting department as they were really ramping up and um, up into their first year. Like I, she certainly seems like a viable candidate. Again, I I know I keep kind of saying the same thing about all these people and just kind of like standing on top of the fence with it. But like she, she seems to be as good a candidate as anybody we've talked about. And I don't know why, um, you know, I'll just leave it. I'm, I'm just rambling at this point. A good I, candidate. We have a good list here. It's probably not going to be any of the <laughs> ten, but I like the candidates. Yeah, I I'll ramble. I have to rant. Um. So I oh, mean, yeah, when, here we go. Okay. Yeah. When 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 Beeston was talking about the future GM of the Penguins, he was the one that you know started saying like he or she, he or she is gonna you know that. So not really because there but there are seven women who are assistant um, GMs across the league. Um, others in, in high up, uh, uh, roles across hockey ops, there, there are a bunch of qualified women out there. And I feel like, you know, cause you had, you had, um, we both had, we've both had women on our list and we've both used like the, he or she, just because that's accurate. Um, and I feel like whenever you, I, you mentioned that a woman might get the job or that there are women out there who are qualified, someone steps in and they think they're being super profound and they're like, I just think they should hire the best person available. <laughs> and it's like, so like what the part they're leaving off is like, and that's not a woman. Like the only reason a woman would be hired because she's like a woman, like diversity hire. Cause that's what you do when you're hiring a GM. And they're, they're saying some, something they act like they're saying something that like needed to be said very profound. It's like, of course they're going to hire the best person available. That could be a woman. You don't know. Uh, and another, like, just looking at the comments on, like, the article I did, um, there's one that, like, I feel like the women in here are just throw-ins because, like, I don't like their background. When, you know, again, we, we, we just talked about, you know, their, their background, like, Megan Hunter was a Blackhawk since 2016, Granado. They have good backgrounds, maybe not, like, decades and decades, like, um, like, some, like, Gilman. 
But when we have male candidates who have that much experience or less, you don't get the same kind of like uh, blowback. Like if I if I included a woman on my list who had um, her only experience at all, any any level anywhere, um, front office experience, two years as, as an advisor and one year as VP of hockey ops, would you think that I'd get comments like, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a nothing candidate, right? <laughs> that's what Joe Sackick had before he got hired by the Avalanche is the GM. And uh, he led them through a rebuild and, and a cup. And like, I, I said that in like the comments and they're like, well, but Joe Sackick, you know, he, yeah. he, he knows how to win. <laughs> he was, he, 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 they're like he's in the hockey hall of fame though Cammy granado's in the hockey hall of fame Haley yeah, that goes back to what i was just talking about where like these if it's like a comfortability factor <laughs> of like oh yeah i remember watching them play back in the 90s so like they, they they know how to win and that dude knows what good hockey looks like so i want him running my team like what yeah, like I'm just the comment is Sacco was 45 and already in the hockey hall of fame. That's not the same thing as a 30 year old with one year of experience. It's like, yeah, but those are, I, I don't know who the 30 year old is, but and no one has one year of experience that we've mentioned. But the extra 15 years of just life experience, I don't think is, is matters here. And again, Cammy Granado, also in the hockey hall of fame, Haley Wickenheiser, Toronto's assistant GM. In the Hockey Hall of Fame, two of the greatest players of well, Haley Wickenheiser, greatest player of all time. Cami Granato, greatest U.S. hockey player of all time. Um, there's another comment. Sackick captain Stanley Cup winning teams. He knows in ways no woman ever could. Precisely what it takes to build a championship NHL team. Sackick did not build the championship like as a player winning That's- teams. That's like when uh, when Chris Drury gave that like six year contract to Barkley Goodrow a couple seasons ago, and they were like, "What an awful contract to give!" Even if you like find value in a player like him, but when they were interviewing Drury about why he was signed and why they signed him to such a long term, he's like, "Well, that guy, that guy just won a couple cups with Tampa Bay. That guy can walk into our locker room and tell us what it takes to win a cup." I'm like, I can walk into your room and tell you what it takes to win a cup. Have a lot of really good players. Well, and like, so I, that, that last comment, my response, and I was like, bang on. Like, that's just like Wayne Gretzky knew what it took to coach a winning team, right? That's how he was notoriously <laughs> so success, su- successful as Phoenix's coach. It doesn't transfer over. We've, we've, we know that. Ron Axel played in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, uh, he he won uh, assistant GM with uh, with LA. Didn't didn't help here. Uh, no correlation. So that's that. I'm getting myself all worked up. Um, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. I'm sure we're gonna talk about more GM candidates like next week or the, the following week. Because again, there's a bunch of names out there. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. We're gonna we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about some fun stuff. We're gonna talk about how we'd fix the all-star game because it's kind of awful. Uh, So stay with us. All right. And we're back. Um, It's just kind of a, this was like a bad season to cover. I feel in general, one of the worst experiences I had was covering the all-star game. In Florida, 
Uh, South Florida Panthers hosted it. That's a whole nother thing. Very bad at- atmosphere. Not a great. Uh, that arena's also in the middle of nowhere. It's like a mall okay. and then the arena and then miles of parking lots. But beyond that, I feel like the All-Star game, All-Star weekend itself, so including like the skills competition, has been getting worse every year. And this year especially, I don't know if, I mean, I've been there in person for, for other, other All-Star games, and I don't feel like it was this bad. This one, to me, was like unwatchable. I don't know how different it was on, on TV. Would you agree? It was it was awful. Pretty, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> it, was, it, it was awful. And like the worst part about it for me, I, I've never really had much interest in the game itself. I've always really enjoyed the skills competition and, and being able to see like the fastest skater or the guys dangling through a bunch of pucks and, and doing all that wacky stuff. This year, though, they broke like the different events up. So they'd have like two people do fastest skater and then they jump over to like accuracy shooting and have one or two guys do that. And then they jump to a different drill and then they jump back to the fastest skating. And it's, it was like the most galaxy brained like event schedule I think I've ever seen. Yeah, that, and because I don't know if they had like a format anywhere, but I remember being like in person, we didn't know what was going on because you know they had, like they started with fastest skater and they had like the preliminary guys. go. And the way it happened before is like, you get one shot or maybe you get like two shots back to back. And then whoever has the fastest time out of that wins. This one was different. They had like the, they came up with like a final two and then they moved on. And then they were like, and then we're going to come back to that later. It's like nothing actually got finished until like late in. It, it was, it was very hard to follow. I didn't like that. But like beyond that, the stupid formatting, it nobody tries anymore. And obviously it's an all-star game. But I feel like, I don't know, they when they changed the format of like the game itself a couple of years ago, now there's like a million dollars on the line. I feel like that that doesn't even really make a difference for guys now. Like now in the championship game, they're actually trying. But to qualify for the championship game. Um, they, they don't care at all. <laughs> no. And I remember like, cause, you know, the way they do this, cause there's always like a, like a, like a musical like performance, like it was machine gun Kelly in Vegas and this year is fallout boy. And I love fallout boy. And the way, the way it all works is, um, uh, the, whoever's performing goes at the second intermission. So it's after the second game. And when we interview players at their little pods, it's after they get eliminated. And for the past couple of years, the Metro team has been in the second game. So it's like if they win and move on to the championship, we get to watch who's ever playing. So I got to watch Machine Gun Kelly. But this past year, they lost um, in their preliminary game. So when Fall Out Boy was playing, I had to go down and talk to Sidney Crosby. And I'm watching that game, and I'm getting, and I wanted to see Fall Out Boy. So like, I wanted the Metro to win that game, and I'm getting so frustrated because like they're not even trying. Do they know what's on the line here for me? Does Sidney Crosby care? But I want to see Fallout Boy. I don't think he did. I don't um, think so. Either. <laughs> uh, I mean, like seeing like him and like Ovi team up a couple times were was cool. But like, what? What? Even even then, they still weren't trying. <laughs> but like, what? What needs to change about like the actual game? I don't. I I think I'd like East versus West, like how it used to be East versus West. Um, uh, full sixty minute. I, the three and threes. It was cool in the beginning. Now it's not really. I don't. Well, I I, th- I think the three on three has only made the problem worse. Like that was going to be one of my suggestions is to go back to like five on five, 
Um, you, you doing so you'd probably be able to have, I would have to imagine you'd have, you'd be able to have, if they did go to like the West versus East thing, they'd, they'd be able to have more guys who get selected to the game, uh, which is obviously good for those guys, but I can't help but feel like having all that open ice just made everybody not try even more. Yeah. Um, the skills competition, I don't, I don't know what I would do for, for that either. I, there are a couple of events that are uh, – so the breakaway challenge used to be, I think, everyone's favorite. It went away for a couple of years, and then it came back. In the beginning, it was just a trick shot competition. And then guys started getting, like, goofy with it. Like, it started out, like, what – like, uh, P.K. Subban, like, dressed as Yager one year, but he still did, yeah. like, a trick shot. Um, Olivi just put on, like, a funny hat one year, and I was like, ah, so crazy. But then it just started, it kept, like, devolving from there. And now it's not, like, the shot itself doesn't matter. It's just, like, what, like, goofy skit. Yeah. And, it, and some of it's cool, it, but it's, I, this one especially this year, I thought was boring. I, I love, I love PK Subban. I don't understand why he was like, had to be a part of every single guy shooting. Um, I, the, I, like, I, I'll, I'm also going to sound like a miser for saying this, but like, I don't, I really don't care to see Alex Ovechkin's toddler skate in and, and score against whoever the heck was in goal flying out of the way to stop the shot. Like, yes, that's for the kid, though. but like. Nobody, nobody's watching for that. Like I, I, I'm sure I come off as like the worst dude in the world for this, but I, I, I'm not going to spend my time watching that. Like Ovi can do that with his kid at home or on, on free time that they have like ice time with him and whoever the heck they can get out on the ice with. But I promise you the people who traveled to sunrise bought tickets for the whole entire weekend. The people that were sitting at home on the couch are getting nothing out of seeing little tiny Ovechkin plod his way down the ice and shoot a puck that's going half a mile an hour for a goal a professional goalie to get out of the way and everybody's like oh he scored who cares nobody cares yeah i i, I when it was when we found a crosby intervention team up for something i thought that was really cool i and it, but when we actually saw what they came up with i'm like that was crosby like wasn't even part of it <laughs> like he just skated no. down the ice so that would be an insert guy um I would like to see like the actual shot itself matter. Um, go back to maybe what it was a couple of years ago before it just turned like, I can't remember who, who, whoever it was, but they just had like a, like a fun little like Miami vice video. And then they came out dressed up in like a goofy costume and then they took their shot. And it's like, this wasn't even like, I, I like the, the one-off event moving on from the breakaway competition, the one-off events that are like specific to like the local, area it's so like that's what they started in vegas they had something at the what is it the bellagio um yeah. they had something else this the the ones in florida um they had like a dunk tank competition which is just accuracy shooting that was okay um the other one was like well, I, I also don't like like i get why they do it because they obviously have to pre-record those kind of events mm -hmm. but the way that they broadcasted them throughout the event uh, like, I, I don't know how they did it for you when you were like at the arena. I assume they just probably like threw it up on the Jumbotron yeah. or something. Yeah. But like watching that on television was just as like mangled and like all over the place as it was with the rest of the events. And you're just like, what is going on here? There's no, no cohesion to any of this. So I, I think 
we could we could go back and forth all day on like what events they should do and what they should be doing within those events but i think the biggest thing or adjustment that they could make is just going back to okay we're doing fastest skater and we're going to go all the way through it and then move on <laughs> to the next. yeah uh definitely that it, it, I, I don't i don't like i like heart, hardest shot everyone loves hardest shot that's fine don't touch that um accuracy shooting to me is super boring now i don't like I don't know. You got to have it. I don't know what you would do for, but they keep bringing in like these new kind of, uh, like not specific to that, uh, you know, city events, but like the one they had this year is called Tendy Tandem. I was there. I didn't understand any of it. It was like some convoluted system. It, it was like, it was, it was kind of like a relay where like they, it, 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 it's goalies like shooting and passing. They're not, it's not really about them making saves. Um, and I, I found out my article from that. Yeah, they were taking shots. It was like different parts of the event were worth different points. Um, the tweet I found is from Jay Fresh. It says, this event combines all your favorite things. Dumping the puck in, goalies flinging a puck down the ice, and half-hearted shootout attempt. Um, <laughs> it's like the NHL really has their pulse on what the fans want. Um, if we want to get goalies involved... Um, uh, goalies in skills competitions peaked when they were allowed to do fast as skater. Do you remember that? Like it only happened a couple years. Um, one of and like they're obviously it's just between the two of them. So it's like they're didn't, not really. Didn't, uh, didn't Tim, Tim Thomas, Thomas like wipe out one year and he wiped out? Yeah, <laughs> that might have been the last year they did it. But like Tim Thomas, he was like going around behind the net and he just like slid into the boards. Um, but it was like its own thing. Like you have fast as skater, and it's like if you win. I think that the way they used to do like a scoring system is like you go head to head and it's like, if you win your head to head, you get a point in the overall score because someone has to win the skills competition. Right. Um, but like I, the goalies used to go against each other and I love that. And if you want to get the goalies doing anything, um, I, I'd like to see him get in fast skater, not whatever this tendy tandem thing is. I, I, I don't, I have, I hope that doesn't come back because I, I don't want to have to learn what it is. Yeah, I mean, every single event was just so convoluted and un unnecessarily complex. And again, I think you have to keep, yes, obviously, you have to keep in mind the people that are actually there at the event. But in a broader sense, you have to keep in mind how it's going to be perceived by the dude sitting on his couch late at night watching, watching everything. And it's just like, that's not it. That's yeah. not it. Um, A couple... A couple of years ago, um, no, not not a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, um, when we had when my friend Alex fill in for you, um, he so we we were going to talk about this when he was on, but we we didn't. But uh, you know, so he was part of like the Asia League All Star Game and the the stuff like the clips I saw from that, like they actually did like fun stuff, like they have like relays and all too. Um, they the event I saw they had it was like a, just a one on one competition like they had a goalie in each net and they had like two guys going one-on-one -on -one against each other I, he won that like that i thought that was cool to see and if you were to have like crosby and like mcdavid go head to head against each other just the two of them out there i think that'd be cool yeah and that's probably something that you could get them to maybe try a little bit more too because it's like oh I, I don't want mcdavid showing me up yeah. here in front of all these people on this national stage so the, the other thing I like, I mean, I, I wouldn't want the NHL to do this, but, you know, so his team, um, Alex's team, 
the Yokohama grits, you know, they post like all their all-stars, like who made it. Um, and you know, when, one of the ones they posted was like their mascot, which is like a big beluga whale named Galuga. And he's shaped like a marshmallow pea. And so like when I saw that, it's like, like, okay, like all the all like, the mascots go to the all-star game, like how the NHL does. And they just have like their own kind of thing. No, Galuga was the only mascot there and he was part of the all-stars like they're all all the players are lined up to go onto the ice and then galuga is also just lined up they had galuga do fast and skater um galuga played in the game <laughs> and if you're just mixed in one mascot into like all the nhl events no it's like, I, I was i was gonna suggest screw just throwing one in instead of having the players play in the game i i know every team doesn't have a mascot maybe they can mandate that every team needs to have a mascot so that the all-star game can just be the mascots playing because that would be way more entertaining than watching those guys they, give 10 percent out there and uh, they, and they like, have a mascot game they they don't show it anywhere like if you were there in person you can see it they have a mascot game um in like the Vegas, most years they do it like before um, the actual game. This this one they did it after. Um, it was I think it was after the skills competition. But yeah, the mascot game is you know because I watched the one I I don't know if I watched in St. Louis or Vegas, but it was actually very entertaining because the mascots are trying to 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 win and like they're you know most of the the people in the mascot suits can skate um, like they're not bad they also have like designated positions like anytime you they have a mascot game like carlton the bear from toronto is the goalie because yeah. he's, he's just goalie like they they have their own positions and like um yeah so show the mascot game on tv that's that's something fans would love that i would watch it i would too um we spent way too much time talking about this i'm sure the nhl is going to find a way to make it worse uh next year anyway uh, no, no. <laughs> uh that's it for we're, this week we're, we're gonna get like green day is the uh is the musical performance at next year's all-star game they no, they did st louis and they swore a bunch of times like full-on f-bombs and it was actually very funny but no but they went to like green day like fallout boy we're due for like um blink 182 <laughs> like that's that's kind of the path they're going they had um they had Snoop Dogg one year. They had Drake before Drake was like big. Um, yeah, the NHL no consistency to like what John. They just have they have no idea what they're trying to do. And, and honestly, like I, I I can at least understand it too because I feel like hockey maybe does have a little bit more of a a, a diverse fan base when you're looking at like oh yeah you don't have like. I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to start making a bunch of generalizations, but I, I can at least level with them on like why they struggle to like hammer down a music genre for their <laughs> guests or something like that. But it's, it's just so funny to see like Green Day, Fallout Boy, Machine Gun Kelly, Drake. Like, what are we doing? They had, here? They had Kid Rock at the awards one year, like not performing like during the awards, but it was like at the outside, like the fan party. Um, this year, the, the awards are in uh, Nashville. So, uh, Country Get music. some hockey talk. Yeah. I couldn't name very many uh, big uh, uh, country artists right now. Morgan Wallen, he probably wouldn't show up, though. Um, I don't know that I could name one. <laughs> well, if you're going to the draft, if I'm going to the draft, you got to study up. But <laughs> um, that's it for this week. Uh, 
If you're new here, we drop episodes every Saturday. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, we also drop the video version on YouTube. It's the DK Pittsburgh Sports Penguins uh, YouTube channel. Subscribe there if you're not subscribed already. Uh, it's just Penguins uh, locker room videos when we actually have a locker room to go into. Uh, we do like live streams there too. So check us out there. Um, and we also obviously drop these wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, uh, Apple, Google, all the major platforms. Uh, so subscribe to us there. Uh, we drop episodes every Saturday, like I said. We hope you join us next week.